If you have a Bible, you can turn in the Old Testament to Proverbs chapter 6. Continuing our reading through the book of Proverbs. We come to Proverbs chapter 6. We'll read verses 12 through 19. Lend your attention. This is the word of God. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, false witness breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his word. Great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a gift it is to have such plain and confirmed promises and instruction handed unto us in your Holy Word. As you've gathered us at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great prophet who makes known the will for our salvation. We pray that you would minister to us as only you can, O great God. For we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, and we look to the great shepherd who promises to tend, to lead, to guide, to retrieve, to bind up, to nurture, Bring us to green pasture and quiet waters and to be with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. So speak to the hearts of your people, O Lord, as only you can. Be pleased to do this. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Continuing in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 49 is the passage of Scripture which I'm going to read. So I'll read uh, Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, and then we'll turn to question 50. But first, this is God's Word. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Thus ends the reading of God's word. And then question 50. What is required in the second commandment? 
The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. We made the simple observation that the first commandment is about the object of our worship, and the second commandment is about the manner of our worship. And these are two distinct commandments. We separate them in the Reformed tradition. We don't collapse them as others do in other Christian camps. We see God giving specific instruction in the first commandment that the true and living God alone is the object of our worship, and that in his word, he has made known the worship that is acceptable unto him. We can marvel, as we did last two weeks ago, that we can worship God as sinners. We never tire of marveling that though we had been expelled from the Lord's blessed presence in fallen Adam, expelled from the garden to a life of wandering, a life of futility, a life of a loss of intimacy and knowledge of God. This has been restored unto us in the Lord Jesus Christ, such that true worship, true knowledge of God, true understanding of who he is, true communion with God, true drawing near unto God, does take place in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. This is a wonder, a gift the greatest gift, the restoration of true worship in a world that is filled with idolatry, false worship, worship of creatures and not the true and living God. So I want to take the occasion to uh, go further. If you read uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism on this question, uh, you, you know that, uh, hopefully you know, that the Larger Catechism um, contains uh, an elaboration, um, an expounding further of these uh, commandments in great detail. It's of great use as the church reflects upon uh, what it is that God is teaching us in these commandments. You get a, a rather detailed um, exposition of what it is uh, that takes place in the worship of God, what God is commanding in this second commandment. So question 108 in the larger catechism, what are the duties required in the second commandment? The duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath instituted in his word, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, and hearing of the word, the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God and vowing unto him, as also the disapproving, detesting, opposing all false worship, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it, and all monuments of idolatry. Commend question 108 for your prolonged reflection as we spend some time with the second commandment, exploring what this worship prescribed unto us looks like. You can note here that the question 
assumes that there's going to be regular worship of God and there's going to be occasional worship of God. Did you hear that distinction? We don't fast every week. We don't take vows every week. There are certain acts of worship that are reserved for the occasional worship that the divines had in mind. That there were seasons that could be called for of special observance of worship. And these were some of the acts which would fill them. But we're going to spend some time meditating on those regular acts of worship. You could compare also Westminster uh, Confession of faith, I believe it's 21, of religious worship and the observance of the Sabbath, particularly sections 3, 4, and 5, as they give even more detail about those particular elements that God has given us, that we might enjoy Him, know Him, and be confident as we take these things up that He is at work among us. I just want to make a number of observations about gospel worship. Worship in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship as prescribed to us by God's word as we avail ourselves of this great gift. The first observation, a gospel worship is simple. Gospel worship is simple. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. This is an observation that I'm bringing to the table. They don't specify this, but it's certainly stands as you observe just the several elements that the divines sketch out both there and in Westminster Confession 21. Acts 2.42. This is Pentecost. This is the explosion of the new covenant blessing extended beyond that immediate circle into these masses who have been cut to the quick by Peter's sermon. You can start in 41. Those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's worship. I don't need to say more about it, but it's remarkably simple. Peter preaches. Then he administers baptism. And then they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the sacrament, to prayer. Let's not miss the shift because they're worshiping the true and living God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Since the time of Solomon, indeed, to the time of Moses, tabernacle worship. Worship regulated under the law of Moses. Temple worship. Worship regulated by the law of Moses. Worship was anything but simple. Worship was an ornate affair. This was no small element of controversy and confusion and difficulty in the life even of the first century church. What about circumcision? What about, what about a dietary restrictions. Well, what about the, the feast days? This elaborate liturgical calendar that regulated all of time that Israel was bound to observe. Well, what about those things in the life of the church? It's remarkable to hear the apostle weigh in and be like, look, get circumcised, don't get circumcised. It doesn't matter. Eat vegetables, eat meat, it doesn't matter. 
Like Mark one day is better than that. Like it doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. What it's about is the Lord Jesus Christ bowing at his feet, heeding the apostles' teaching, which is just Christ's teaching, continuing to go forth as they discharged Christ's instruction in Matthew 28 to go and to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The book of Acts is carrying out that great commission. It's the ongoing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel worship is simple, even if you just compare it to the worship which God required in the Old Covenant. You hear similar refrains of this in John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman wants to know about the ornate details that are attending true worship. Is it Jerusalem or is it this mountain in Samaria? I want to know about the right externals. I want to know about the right form of worship. And Jesus says, no, it's simpler. The time is coming where things are going to be simplified. It's going to be the Spirit administering the truth in the one who is the truth and who sends the Spirit. Gospel worship is simple You also hear it in Paul's instructions to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy how he is to arrange the church going forward. How he is to arrange the worship life of the church going forward. It is stunning to me. You read these defenses of these elaborate worship practices involving icons and incense and images and pomp and circumstance. And then you read First and Second Timothy, and what do you find? Preach, pray, pursue godliness. Where is it? Where is it? It's not there. It's simple. It's elegant. It's beautiful. And it befits a king who delights to call the poor, the needy. Because let's not also miss that there's beautiful utility in the simplicity. Because true worship can happen anywhere. Reading 100 Years of Solitude, Pat, don't buy it. <laughs> it's a little bit racy. <laughs> Life in Macondo takes a different direction when the priest arrives and they're rather excited because now the sacrament of marriage can go on but he refuses to exercise the sacrament of marriage until he can build his cathedral <laughs> you got to have the cathedral so that the sacrament can go on so this wealthy benefactor who wants to marry just buys the thing so he can get married it doesn't work out for him but he needs it there's some pomp and circumstance that has to go on gospel worship is not like that it's more like Little House on the Prairie. I love Little House on the Prairie. On the shores of Silver Lake, Reverend Alden shows up and he drops this poor minister off in the middle of nowhere. It's just him and his Bible. He's going to gather the people and they're going to worship. Why? Because wherever a minister lawfully ordained is preaching the word of God, gathering the sheep, that's worship. It can happen in a field. It can happen in a cave. It can happen in a house. You don't need much. And it's beautiful. It's remarkably fitting to our Lord's ministry. And it's just an extension of our Lord's ministry. What did he come to do? He preached. And he healed. He forgave. And he embodied righteousness. 
Everything Paul instructs Timothy to pursue is exactly what we see the Lord doing, except now being exercised in his servants, for even his healing ministry, his miraculous ministry, was to prompt our hearts heavenward towards that higher order of blessing. It wasn't about bread. It wasn't about seeing in the physical sense. It was that he was the true light. He was the true bread. And he still is that. And that still comes home to hearts as his people gather in worship. Gospel worship is simple. And this by the Lord's design. It's remarkably suitable for an era where the gospel is to be taken into the ends of the earth. Places where there perhaps isn't much, the places that are particularly hostile to the gospel. Gospel worship being simple is suited to the nature of the Lord's universal ministry, even now. And it's also suitable to the fact that He calls the poor, the weak, the outcasts, those who don't have, those who can hear. I'm struck again by this foolish line of argumentation. People need icons. They need icons because they're illiterate. It's like, yeah, but they can hear. We're not asking them to read. We're asking them to listen. (laughs) You're telling me that they can derive sense from an image, but not from a sentence? A sentence is clearer than an image. An image is more opaque than a sentence. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold water. The gospel ministry, this word-based ministry, this simple worship by Christ design. That's gospel worship. Gospel worship is simple. For those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I don't care what anybody tells you. It's as simple as that. And it's beautiful. Second, gospel worship is communion with God. Gospel worship is communion with God. You can look at Hebrews 12 for this. It's a passage I reference often. It's a beautiful passage. Starting in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In our private worship, our family worship, and above all, in our corporate worship, We taste the excellency of that most comprehensive promise. I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. 
Gospel worship is communion with God. It is God summoning his people. It is God being with his people, dwelling with his people, meeting with his people. In all of the particular elements that we'll detail, we're invited to read them all through the lens of fellowship with God, meeting with God, communion with God. When we worship, we don't pray. Being subversive here, we do pray. But what is prayer? Prayer is speaking to God. It's laying our hearts bare before him. It's casting our praise to him. It's casting our concerns upon him. It's making our petitions known to him. Prayer is a useful word. It's a good word, but it can get... It can veil the intimacy of what's taking place in that we're speaking to God. We're speaking to him as children speak to a father. When you pray, pray like this. Our father. I call my father regularly. Not as often as I should anymore. I'm sorry, Glenn. <laughs> when I was in Ukraine, I would call him regularly. I knew that he would always take my call. I knew that whatever I was going through, whatever difficulty I was having at the time, he would listen to me. I could unbosom myself to him, as it were. Jesus is our husband. Wives, I hope you can talk to your husbands. Husbands, I hope you can talk to your wives. There's an intimacy there which fuels the nature of how we speak. I can speak with my wife in a way that I don't get to speak with other people. She can speak with me in a way that she doesn't get to speak with other people. All of these lenses. Jesus Christ is our older brother. I talk to my brother all the time. There's a delight in the conversation. There's a way that we can talk because of the fact that we're brothers. So it is with Christ. Jesus is our friend. God is a friend of Abraham. Speaking to friends brings a certain level of intimacy. He's also our king, and we are his servants. And that generates a certain relationship. All provision, all protection comes from him, and we call upon him as servants who trust his provision, who trust his protection. All these things frame the reality of our prayers. But don't lose the fact that prayer is speech communication, conversation with God. When we hear God's word read and preached, we don't hear about God. We hear from God. It's not just the word of God. It's the voice of God, as it were. There's a marked difference in that. I think you could probably make a, a good argument that's one of the main differences about Reformed worship compared to perhaps evangelical worship. We believe in the sacramental word. That you're here not just to hear a lecture, but to be addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, I, I purchased you to worship me. I've promised to speak to you, to guide you, to direct you, to lay your heart bare through the ministry of this word. I promised you that. I know you see Michael in front of you. 
but he speaks on my behalf. I called him, I put him here, and he's doing my work. It's not because he has better gifts than you, it's because I've uniquely called him. You can be confident that that's what's taking place in all the true churches of God. The true servants of the Lord are discharging this commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, gather my sheep, feed them, sustain them, and be confident that I am the one who is doing that through you. We're not just singing about God. We are rejoicing in the excellencies of his triune person. There is a difference between singing about a victory and rejoicing in victory. We're much closer to Miriam leading those godly women out in song, delighting in the victory that God had just won for his people over Egypt. That wasn't even the song of Troy. It was some centuries later about some victory in the ancient past. No, it was life itself being celebrated. As it had been accomplished by the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the true and living God. When we come to the table, it's not just bread and wine with one another. It's bread and wine with the Lord Jesus Christ at a table the Father has prepared in the Son, whose ministry is exercised powerfully in the Holy Spirit received by faith. The discipline of the church is not just the opinion of men. It is called servants of God, binding and loosing, exercising the keys of the kingdom that Christ has entrusted to men. There's far more going on here than meets the eye. Our worship, our life together as the people of God is true communion with the true and living God. Just because it doesn't look like much, don't be deceived into thinking that much isn't going on. Matters of eternal significance are being traded in constantly. Gospel worship is communion. And all of our communion, just like Hebrews 12 points out, takes place in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a remarkable host that he sets forth here, isn't it? It's fairly impressive. He's drawing on the remarkable experience, incredibly profound experience that left a deep impression upon Israel's memory of meeting with God at Sinai. That's, that's the assumption here, right? That's, that's the starting point. He says, you don't come to that fiery mountain, which left quite an impression. But he doesn't say you don't come there because you don't meet with God. He says you don't come there because you've come to a better mountain. A more impressive mountain. A mountain not of fear, but of intimacy. A mountain not of condemnation, but of the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel cry out for? What does the blood of Abel cry out for? Justice. To be avenged. God comes to Cain, the blood of your brother is crying out to me from the ground. What does the blood of Jesus cry? 
Forgive them. Forgive them. We know not what they do. We come to a better mountain. The difference isn't that we don't meet with the true and living God. The difference is that Wonderfully, the intimacy is more profound because Jesus has come. We sang it this morning. You have quenched Sinai thunder, Sinai's thunder. You have quieted the law's loud thunder. That's the point that Hebrews is making. The communion, intimacy of fellowship can happen at a table. You can sit down to table fellowship because peace has been established, because sin has been forgiven, because sin has been dealt with, because sin has been removed, because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. True fellowship, true communion can take place because of the mediator of the better covenant. It's a testimony about gospel worship. It's much, much, much simpler, but it is much, much more profound. It is much richer, much more intimate, much more widespread. It's better. It's better. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator of it. But it's not just Christ with whom we have fellowship here. It's this impressive rank upon rank. I kind of hinted at this this morning. Again, more going on than meets the eye. It doesn't say that you will come to this mountain. It says you have come. You have come to heaven. You're there now. Get your mind around that. Your hearts, heated by heating God's word by faith, are joining the ranks of those who know what you know, but now by sight. They're rejoicing in the same reality that we gather to rejoice in, namely that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's conquered sin and death. He's accomplished God's redeeming purposes. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Him. They're celebrating that, but they see it. We know it by faith. They see it by sight, but our hearts are joined in that we're celebrating the same God, the same Christ, the same redemption, indeed, new creation itself. Because this heavenly Jerusalem is coming down. That's the picture in Revelation. But our fellowship with them is now. It's a communion with God, but it's also a communion with the church. And even those who love the church and this mysterious host of heavenly messengers. Worship is not about God. It's meeting with God and all those who love God. And that is an impressive I had eight observations. I didn't think I was going to get through all of them. <laughs> we got through two of them. <laughs> Gospel worship is simple. Gospel worship is meeting with the true and living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a, ten is a tendency, there's a temptation to allow what we see to dictate our expectation. To allow what is easy to perceive to be the main formative influence on what we expect. 
think this is the reason it's so easy to look at Sunday as just another lackluster set of responsibilities. Because in some ways, this is difficult. It's difficult to come and be around other sinners. It's difficult to come and listen to an imperfect servant who may or may not be clearly preaching God's word that particular day. It's difficult to come when you've got all sorts of distractions bearing down on you. But let not the eye of sense be that which determines the expectation for what God has promised us in the gift of worship. Gospel worship is simple. Yes, it doesn't have the pomp and circumstance, the visible glory of old, but it is more glorious to the eye of faith. For in it, the world over, the redeemed are joining the triumph song of the Lamb as we draw near to the true and living God. great God, we do give you thanks for this gift of worship. We give you thanks for your sovereign initiative to retrieve for yourself those who were lost in darkest night and to restore us to the presence and the blessed fellowship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do confess, Lord, that it is easy for us to make a judgment about worship and and your church based upon the eye of physical sense and our limited understanding and not to see what takes place through the eye of faith and the lens of your word. And so we ask that you would posture us aright, O oh Lord, that you would give us a greater appreciation and a greater understanding of the wonder which is unfolding as people the world over call upon your name and the Lord Jesus Christ and yield the salvation song, the song of the Lamb, until the day he returns. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.